Our latest guest on Soundtracking is a hugely entertaining composer who's worked on numerous movies, TV shows and video games. Among Harry Gregson-Williams' many credits are an apprenticeship under Hans Zimmer, a long-term working relationship with the Scott Brothers, the Shrek series and a collaboration with Trey Parker and Matt Stone on Team America. The demon! The story behind how that came to pass is hilarious, by the way. Now, his latest project is the live-action animation remake of Disney's Mulan, which is based on classic Chinese folklore and tells the story of a girl disguised as a man who becomes a great warrior. You can currently watch this fantastic interpretation of the original Mulan on Disney+, Plus, directed by Nikki Caro as of now. And it's with a cue from Mulan that we begin. Mulan and Hongui fight. Thanks, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Thanks so much for sparing the time to talk to me. Not at all. Oh, look at your studio, it's amazing. Yeah, no, it's fun. It's got lots of toys for boys, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's really lovely when you get the chance to say thank you to people, I think, as well, because you've scored some extraordinary films over the years and certainly films that I've enjoyed personally, but I've got two boys and my youngest, we've just been introducing him to the world of Shrek. And, oh, it makes me smile so much, those films. I just remember how much fun I had when I watched them for the first time. So it was lovely to be able to go back and revisit those. Harry, if you don't mind starting by what point you knew you wanted to start composing and writing music for the moving image, so to speak. Well, that's relatively recent, actually. <laughs> it, it really is, because uh, you know, I was a bit flabbergasted when I saw my name next to the words veteran composer the other day. No, the thing is, I, after I left music college, or music college left me, shall we say, mm. uh, in London, I didn't really know. I had the sort of fantasy that I was going to be a singer, you see, because as a boy, I'd been a chorister at St. John's College. And, uh, and so I'd sung for my supper, as it were, uh, all my life. And, I, and, 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 and so that felt natural to me. So when I got to the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, I thought that's what I was going to do. And, you know, I showed up there. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, not, I'm, you know, some would say perpendicular, similarly uh, challenged. You know, I'm not I'm the tallest guy. And I was a very mature 18-year-old, probably physically and in every other way, probably. But when I showed up there as, you know, having got in as a singer, which is no mean feat, i got to say, into the Guildhall School of Music Drama, um, you know, I looked around in the same class and there were these guys with bloody great beards standing in sandals. Oh, she spoke like this. And I was like, what the heck? Oh, man, it didn't really work out for me. And um, I, I had to change my tack somewhat. And I was really fortunate because I, in a pub in Hindhead in Surrey, whilst on a long weekend with a, a girlfriend of mine who was at the academy sewing cello, at the time, I met this headmaster of a boys' prep school, and he seemed to need the two things that I, I, I felt I could offer. He needed a director of music, and he needed um, someone who would te- be head of gym and coach the under-11 cricket and the under-11 rugby and you know, run around in a pair of shorts, you know, almost like he knew what he was doing. And it seemed only five minutes, you know, I was 19. So I, I had actually been that kid in there yeah. six years, six or seven years before. So I felt I, I really knew... Well, I felt I, it was so fresh in my mind, the really brilliant teachers I was so lucky to have at my own school at that age that I thought, well, what if I based my idea 
of teaching on that because hey i had no experience of teaching at all that's why this chap who's unfortunately he's he's dead now he, he was quite old at the time dominic spencer you know he hired me on a winner prayer the only thing he said to me you're gonna have to get your hair cut and you need to get a sports jacket so i said sports jacket what like a tracksuit top he's like no a sports jacket and a tie and i'm like okay I'll get my hair cut um <laughs> He, he gave me that opportunity. So I had, it's a long way around answering your question about um, when did I know I was, I, I, you know, I spent from that moment, I spent five or six years with him as director of music in his school. And then I went off to Egypt and taught music there. I, d- I was thought that I was very much a vocational teacher. I, d- I just loved teaching music, not sort of one-on-one necessarily. I didn't do piano lessons or, or whatever. But, you know, I liked having my rugby team in the choir and my choir in the orchestra and my orchestra playing on the grass outside the school in a, in a gale. You know, with music, I just, just the whole thing, just making, I was going to say making fun of it, certainly not making fun of it. Making it fun. Yeah, making, making music fun. And, yeah. uh, and the two things that I loved and was relatively okay at at school, music and sports, you know, I found that in a lot of schools, they were exclusive. Yeah. You know, if I do sports practice, oh no, he's going to be practicing the violin. And I was like, Man, if I was given the choice, I'd be on the rugby field. Yet, I need to practice the piano. So being sort of head of both departments in that first school, I was able to play one off against the other and make sure that the boys, you know, the, the, the kids were, were able to do both. So yes, it was only um, after having come back from Egypt in about 1988-1989 and finishing my teaching there that uh, I was introduced to Richard Harvey, who's, who, who I was introduced to him as someone that I would probably like. And I asked why. And the answer was, well, he's got a cricket team got a really cool recording studio in Chelsea <laughs> Road, and he likes curry. Uh, so I'm like, okay, can I have his phone number? <laughs> I literally phoned him. I, I didn't really have anywhere to live or, or I didn't have a job or anything because I decided I, I was going to finish teaching. Yeah. Uh, I'd landed back in London and I didn't really know what my next move was. And I called this Richard Harvey and he, I think it was probably a, a Friday or a Saturday. It was close to the weekend. And he said, um, I was trying to explain why we might want to get together. And he said, uh, what are you doing on Sunday morning? So I said, no, nothing. I said, well, can you, have you got some whites? So I said, no. And he said, well, I, okay, come to this address. You can join my cricket team, uh, which was called Not the MCC, which is not the music, well, it's the Musicians Cricket Club, basically, not the Marylebone Cricket Club. So I, I joined him and I became his, you know, his, his lad who, who just basically did anything that he was doing, which was a lot of fantastic composing. Uh, he wrote music for a lot of, really good things, films, TV in England. And, and he had this really neat recording studio. And I began to really get seduced by all these flashing buttons and the, 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 the way of creating music using technology. Uh, and I'd watch Richard. Richard's a really good composer himself, you know, conducting orchestras in Abbey Road. And I yeah, thought, man, if I could do this one day, what, how would this be? And Rich introduced me to Hans Zimmer in about 1994 because mm-hmm. Hans came over to Richard's studio. Hans was already an Oscar-winning composer in L.A. And I'd heard sort of rumors and these legendary sort of stories about Hans. Uh, and one day Richard said to me, um, uh, at his studio in Lots Road, Rich had uh, two studios, like an A and a B. The A was pretty good and the B was pretty crappy. It was a really small room and dusty equipment. And Richard called me one day and said, because I was kind of the boy who did whatever needed doing in the studio. He was like, hey, can you get all the crap out of Studio B? So I said, what do you mean? He said, no, everything, the tape machine, the mixing desk, the couch, the everything, just put it upstairs in the storeroom. So I emptied the room. It was a completely empty room. And I said, well, for what purpose? And he said, well, we've got Hans Zimmer is coming and he's, he's bringing his own gear from LA. He just wants the room. Um, so Hans came to, to the studio and I don't know, we became fast friends. I, I never left there. It turns out that he composes 23 hours out of 24 every day. <laughs> so... We became great friends and he left, you know, after, after what he was doing back there, he gave me a, a role on one of the films that he was working on, which was Crimson Tide for Tony wow. Scott.
And little did I know that you know, later on, I, I did every Tony Scott, I composed every Tony Scott score from 1996 until the day he died. Yeah, so Hans and I became really good friends and then he left, packed up. So one day it was all gone and he was gone. It's like, it like a dream, it's like a mirror. The enigma of Hans. <laughs> this too shall pass into legend. And oh man, I was so sad. And I, you know, I had a great life. I, was, I played cricket with well, Richard's um, team and, and he looked after me and, and I had a little bed sit in Doors Road and I, had, I, had, I was enjoying my life, but I couldn't help feeling, wow, this is, I wish I could, I didn't want to dump on Richard, but I, I wish I could have carried on knowing Hans. And, and one day the phone went at, at Richard's studio and um, the receptionist said, Harry, it's for you. It's Hans Zimmer. I thought, oh, Oh, great. I picked up the phone and, uh, and I'd imagine that he'd probably left something really important, like, I don't know, a MIDI lead or a... So I said, what, what, what did you leave? What did you forget? And he said, you. Oh. Yeah, it's you. Why the hell did you get on a plane and come and assist me? I'm doing this uh, really serious movie called Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> and I need, to, I need some help. And I need someone who knows something about kids. And I said, but Hans, I don't have any kids. And he said, yeah, haven't you just spent your, a decade teaching children music? Didn't you tell me that you made up all these tunes for your kids? And oh. yes, 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 yes. And he said, look, how difficult could it be? Raise the money for a one-way ticket, which pre-9-11, you could just get a one-way ticket. And so I did. I showed up in his studio, June 1995, and from up at Treasure Island. <laughs> and it did. It worked out pretty well. He let me, you know, I, I ghost wrote some of the music on that. And, and I did feel like I, I kind of knew the spirit of that sort of music. Yeah. It was kind of my, the pocket that I should be in. And again, little did I know that I, my career's taken me into much more gnarly places. You know, all the Tony Scott films I've done, the thrillers, you know, and people, actually, I was just on the phone to someone who, who wants me to do their film and, you know, framed me as, you know, their ideal action man. And I, I just don't see myself as that. But uh, he probably doesn't realise that I start, started in Hollywood with Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> but like, that's, but that two things, is like, I was very lucky to... Um, I've spoken to Hans a couple of times and the thing that I've always left from the time I spent with him is his enthusiasm and his absolute drive and passion and love for what he does is utterly infectious. It's just extraordinary. Yeah, he's amazing. But also when you, you, uh, you know, you, 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 when you look, you know, I've started writing a list of, of all the films that you've composed and it's, it's a long list and there's an amazing collection of so many genres on there i think that that's the thing is like whether it be you know assisting on muppet treasure island or you know the new you know mulan reinvent this beautiful gorgeous kind of live action reinvention of this 1500 year old story it's just extraordinary and everything in between well thank you and uh i think really what it boils down to is is um there's a couple of things i'm often asked by people starting out you know how, how, how do you get a a start in the business and I, I'd say um, two things firstly try and find yourself a really busy really charismatic genius to work for <laughs> I did twice um, and that was really fortunate and and there's no better way than learning something on the job you know Hans threw me in a room I'd never used a computer in I don't think I'd ever owned a computer up to 1995 and I certainly never used a computer in music you know that wasn't wasn't a thing um, you know it was manuscript paper 
Yeah. And he that's not, you know, he discovered this way of, you know, he, he doesn't have much practical musical ability. You know, he's, he's quite famous. He had one piano lesson that didn't end well, apparently. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's not a competition about who's the best player here. What, what we're trying to do is help tell stories. And that he, he's got a vivid imagination. And he figured out a way for himself, uh, which a lot of us have emulated, using the flashing lights, the technology, to be able to get those ideas out. I mean, you've only to listen to his score for Thin Red Line. And that's, you know, he sometimes gets, gets accused of writing this sort of rather block, four-square, anthemic, uh, fairly basic stuff. But man, he, you know, the, the, the keys that that score flies around, the, 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 and how, he, how does he get that from his, from his imagination out onto the film? Well, I think the answer is through the technology and through being really consistently committed to it, like you said, passionate. So I think that's the first thing. And the second thing is that I would note that this business really is, and this is related to me having done so many films in different genres over the years, um, is um, it really is probably like any business. It's very relationship-based. Yeah, I met Tony Scott back in 1995, but I was the guy asleep on Hans's couch because he'd, you know, he'd beat me so hard the night before. But you know, I went on to, to, to score all that stuff with, with him and through him met his brother Ridley. Yeah. Now, um, operating almost in parallel to, to what was happening on, let's call my thriller-type, action-type oriented scores, was the great fortune to be asked to do Ants, um, which is the first computer-generated animation uh, back in about 1998, perhaps it was. And then from that, doing Chicken Run, from that, doing the whole Shrek series. And so having this animated thing going, running parallel. And, you know, I've, I always wanted, always wanted to try and uh, see if someone would hire me to write a score that's very emotionally based, so not action and not frivolous, let's say. Not with chickens or ants. Yeah. Um, and you know, just occasionally I've been really lucky that someone's trusted me with that. And that's actually how I came to be doing Mulan because about four, five years, three, four, five years ago, something, three, three, four years ago, Major called me and said, look, there's this film called The Zookeeper's Wife with Jess Chastain in it, directed by Nikki Carroll. And, you know, it's very much a female producers, female director, female lead. They are seeing composers now. And if you'd like to try and get a meeting, I don't hold that much hope. So I, I, I read the script, really wanted to go. Because I'd never done anything like that, the Holocaust yeah. or something. Um, nothing frivolous about that. Or action oriented. It's just all very emotional. So, so yeah, and I went to the cutting room and I, I don't know, I must have, uh, must have conned her somehow into hiring me. <laughs> yeah.
Well, we had a really good experience, and that's why I say it's related to relationships in yeah. this business. We did the Zookeeper's Wife, which was a tiny budget, um, and it was a labor of love for all of us. And didn't, you know, many people won't have seen that film. It just didn't reach too many parts. But about two years later, I opened a copy of Daily Variety over here, this is the business paper here. And right on the front page was Nikki's face smiling out. And Disney had just announced she was going to be the director of Mulan. So, you know, I crossed my fingers. Did I screw up zookeepers on, you know? <laughs> and, and yeah, she emailed me that very same day. And said, wow. Look, you've got to come along for this ride with me. You've done more of these action epics than I have. So yeah, it is very much a relationship-based thing. And, and, you know, obviously relationships can go sour, but they also can blossom over, you know, the course of many films. And I think that's interesting enough. I... I was talking to someone this morning about uh, Tony Scott and his sort of legacy and how fortunate I was to, to have, to be able to grow along with him, you know, yeah. such a visual yeah. filmmaker. I mean, to be, let's be serious, you know, to be pulled along wasn't me doing the pulling. You know, he was pulling me along. He was dragging me along. He was allowing me along for the ride. So yes, a variety of, a variety of things, but my main two sort of strands, great fortunate strands have been the, the family films, which I felt quite, reasonably at home with him, a little bit qualified to do. I have now five children of my own. So I... Um, wow. Yeah. And counting. No, no, no. Not counting. <laughs> <laughs> five children, five different wives. No, 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 no. Um, no, I do, but I do. And um, and yeah, and, and in running in parallel to this, was something very different, like, uh, you know, The Martian or The Equalizer or these the sort of gnarly movies that have got nothing to do with family at all. In fact, in fact I, I have to be really careful. It's the only times I actually close the door in my studio when I'm working on a film like this, because my, one of my sons who's 10, you know, he's like really trying to steal a glance at the shooting and equalize all of it. Yeah. Going on. I'm like, <laughs> Mate, you're not, you're not going to see this. Wait till I do a movie. It's just penguins, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that one, you can, you need one of those, uh, the lights outside your studio. That's not the kind of on air one. It's like kids may enter. <laughs> You know, I, I was listening to a wonderful um, interview you, you did, um, which was a really kind of deep dive into the use of person and, and touching a lot on your career. And you talked a lot about, about you know, the relationship with, with Tony Scott. And when you have worked with someone over so many years in films, there's almost a kind of shorthand, so to speak, in terms of, you know, you kind of know what the other one wants kind of before they say it sort of thing in a way. Yeah, I think that's, that is true, uh, can be true. I think familiarity, familiarity does, did make Tony feel comfortable. I don't think he wanted to keep starting again with someone. Although, you know, he'd had, he'd had some pretty class acts do his films before I came along. Um, so I felt like, you know, filling the boots of someone. I mean, I, I felt that a few times. I mean, with Ridley, the first movie that Rid asked me to do is Kingdom of Heaven, which was way back in 2007, or it was a long time ago. First thing I knew about it, I was in my studio in Venice here in LA and, and the music editor who was at Ridley was doing post-production in London in Soho, I think. And um, the music editor, who was a friend of mine, uh, called me and said, look, uh, Ridley's listening to CDs tonight. He's, he keeps listening to yours. So I said, what, what do you mean? Isn't Hans doing it? Because the last time they did that dance, they won Oscars, didn't they, for Gladiator? <laughs> what, why, why would you ch change? But I don't know, it, maybe it had been handbags at dawn. I don't know what went on there, but... <laughs> He was, you know, really was in the process of, of, of changing course. Yeah. And so that, that was a, a, a fortunate one. But those, those things happen. 
Good intel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I mean, look at, I mean, Prometheus was just extraordinary and The Martian as well. I was listening to The Martian score today and that that theme tune for The Martian is just, oh, I love that score. I love that film. Yes, so do I. I mean, I remember when Ridley said, asked me if I'd do it. It's just really, really blunt. It's like, read it, like it, do it. He sent me the script. <laughs> um, and he was right. He's like, don't F it up. I'm like, well, <laughs> really? Why is that the starting point? That was before I saw it. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. This is well acted, it's well written, it's fun, it's dramatic, it's emotional. Yeah, there's so much good about it. So just don't mess it up. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great, thanks. I'll see what I can do. But yeah, no, it's you. Know, I'm felt so fortunate to do a film like that. You know, let's be honest. Sometimes in you know, my studio, I'm you know, I have the, the screen above my thing there. Oh wow, yeah. Yeah, so it's up there. So I'm looking at the, the damn thing 24 hours a day, or when I when I'm composing, and, and that's what's giving me, telling me what I've got to do. That's my inspiration for everything. But you know, sometimes you look at it and think, really, that dialogue line you couldn't have thought anything better. Really, you know, sometimes. But on The Martian, just it just seemed like a perfect little film. Like I love the plot. I love the way it unfurls. Acting's good. Everything was good about it. So yeah, you can't come across those too often. You know, sometimes one is compensating for something as a composer.
but uh, as concerns from Milan, that was a, that, that was quite the reverse. You know, I was so happy to be asked to do that because I had uh, with my two oldest children. That was around about so they're they're, they're um, what are they, nineteen and twenty one now. So that the you know that the first Milan was perfect for them at that time, and uh, I loved it. I loved Jerry Golson's score. I loved everything about it. to remove that almost though in a way from you know when when there is already you know attachment I, ima- <laughs> I imagine it's similar with Prometheus though in terms of there's an existing soundscape there to that world very true and, and it, with the, the great thing about Milan again a, a little bit like um, when I did um, uh, the taking of panel one two three with Tony you called look H we're not this isn't a remake mate and I said what do you mean and he said it's not we're using the same story I've tweaked it it's going to be a different score. It's going to be a different axis. It's different. So don't, you know, don't be guided by, you can watch the other film if you like, but it's not, it's not, this isn't what we're doing. And, and Nikki said very much the same thing with, with, with Mulan. So it's absolutely, it's, it's being faithful to the story. But, you know, we have a different actor. We're actors. It's, 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 it's live action. You know, it's not going to be a musical. Um, but I had to find ways of, of giving the audience what some of them really would want, um, which is to be put in mind of some moments from the previous film. And uh, there are a couple of memorable moments that I think, hope we've nailed it. Um, you'll have to see when you see the movie, but in particular, you know, the fans of the first movie seem to love that film that uh, Christina Aguilera sang, the, the um, da, 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 reflection. Look at me, you may think you see who I really am, but you'll never know me every day. It's as if I play a part. Now I see if I wear a mask, I can fool the world, but I cannot fool my heart. It's perfect, you know, story point, isn't it? So there's a girl who's having to disguise herself in order to to do what she needs to do, but she's, she's looking at herself and then, why can't I be the person I want to be? And, you know, who is it that I'm looking at in my reflection? So we're like, well, okay, in our movie, Milan is not going to sing that, um, but what can you do, Harry? What can we do to give us that sort of feeling? So as that moment passes in this film, this today's film, you'll hear an echo of that, that I've arranged that theme, and then it'll take you into the present Mulan theme, which is quite different.
There's a couple of moments in this movie where I hope the audience will have a, ah, that feels good. So I hope so, because that's what we aimed at. But we, you know, we worked really hard on this because, you know, there was one point where there was a desire to, well, if we're not having singing, what are we going to have? How are we going to pay homage to, you know, and acknowledge that people do have a love of that first film. And I think we, I think we found a solution to that. I hope so. I was lucky enough to see it before lockdown. It was, yeah, I feel very privileged to have seen it on a big screen. And uh, I just thought it was it was absolutely brilliant. I thought it's so beautiful. It's like a work of art. It's just it's crafted so stunningly. It's just yeah, it's it's brilliant. And I, and with the score, I think it's really beautiful the way that because it's it's a it's a fine balance, isn't it, with regards to like you say, you, and it sounds it's brilliant hearing you describe how you you know it's almost paying homage in a way to to what was gone before, but how. There's also the cultural um, sonic scape that that is it, that is absorbed through the instrumentation and even the you know the, the I don't know what the, the term is but the kind of you know the notes of of that world. Yeah, exactly. You say you describe it well. But that not almost kind of overpowering everything as well, and it's just yeah, it's a fine dance, isn't it? Almost in a way. It is, and that, and that's what's really exciting. Uh, let's face it: if um, this isn't Trek and it isn't anything I'd done before. Uh, by a long time, you know, I've, I've done, you know, epics, I've done, you know, films that are slightly related to something like this, like, for instance, The Prince of Persia, um, but there's nothing, I've never done anything like this, so this is so rooted in the, the history of the, you know, and the culture. So I had to really educate myself about this. And actually, um, doubling back to that first composer who gave me a break, Richard Harvey, who had the cricket team in the cool studio in, in um, Lots Road in um, Chelsea, he happened to be uh, a sort of uh, a woodwind specialist, and particularly ethnic woodwinds, and many Chinese instruments. And, and I actually called him, and I uh, asked him if he would you know, be a really really chief advisor to me and, 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 and guide me on some of these things and he and he certainly did so so that was a nice full circle moment. felt a bit odd asking him to do something rather than him asking me to make a cup of tea. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I couldn't do that anyhow because he's he was in wherever he was and I'm in LA. But um, no, it was it was really it was really great. And I, I did I enlisted a lot of help and the, some of the players we had were absolutely fantastic. The, the uh, I discovered the uh, the beauty of the Chinese violin, the erhu. That is it's something like that. I don't know. It's it's looks so difficult to play that thing. Uh, and I couldn't have written an easy tune. But you know, one of the first things. Um, Actually, Richard arranged this for me. Was that I'd written this piece for Ehu, hoping it would become a central theme in the movie. 
but I, I had written it, you know, with like a piano picking out the lead instrument because I, I don't play the air home. And I was like, Richard, can you help me out here? And he found this amazing player called Yvonne Wu. And she just absolutely nailed it and uh, gave me so much hope for, okay, well, you know, cocking back to Hans and his Thin Red Line. And yeah, the guy may never have had a piano lesson successfully, but, the, you know, that doesn't stop his imagination taking us through so many worlds here. So my aim was to, to, um, to sprinkle these, these Chinese uh, flavors uh, uh, over the score. And hopefully I, I would know how dramatically to write the score. But the, the, I would take advice and uh, as much as I could um, about the Chinese ensembles and how, how I, would, I would not be, you know, hitting cliche after cliche or even hitting a wrong, you know, a wrong note, a uh, bum note in, in terms of, of, of how authentic these things were. So it was quite a voyage. I've got to say, I, I think I, I had um, never worked on a film quite so long as I did that. Yeah. I am. Um, there's a, 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 a cue called Honour to Us All that I've kind of been listening to on repeat. It's a beautiful, um, yeah, it's just a lovely journey that piece goes on. It's really, really stunning. Well, uh, that's actually one I mentioned earlier, the, the, um, us picking two or three moments in the film where we're hoping to give the audience a bit, ah, feels familiar. The very beginning of that cue, although it's instrumental, the notes I've used there are directly taken from the song Honour to Us All. You'll bring honor to us all from the first movie. This is what you give me to work with. Well, honey, I've seen worse. We're gonna turn this sow's ear into a silk purse. We'll have you washed and dried, trimmed and polished till you glow with pride. Trust my recipe for instant bride. You'll bring honor to us all. And then it slides away from that into, into my own scores, as it were. So uh, actually, the, the composer of those songs, uh, I had to contact him pretty early. It's like, dude, I'm not ripping you off. We're actually using your music. <laughs> You'll be credited. <laughs> it's not like I, I, I think I only... That's mine. No, no, no. No, 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 no. That's yours. Um, so he was happy. He's, he, he's here in LA. And we got on like a up actually. is it fun where they go oh yeah we need we want the score but we also want you to write a song for Christina Aguilera that's not quite how it happened actually okay I had written my score and I don't know whether it's going to reach over there but I'm just going to nip over to my piano <laughs> so I'd written my um you see and obviously I was midway through actually creating the score for this movie and I was introduced to a guy called Jamie Hartman 
um, who's like a bit of a banging songwriter, like proper, genuine, authentic songwriter guy, unlike myself. Um, and he said, you know, are, are, is there going to be an original song for this movie? And I said, I don't know. I've got enough score to, to think about, so I don't know. He said, can I hear your main theme? So he came over to my studio to this room, and I played him exactly. I said, hold on a second. He put his iPhone on and just recorded me playing the theme and went away and linked up with two other people. And between the four of us, we co-wrote the song. And I, I told him, look, mate, this is all speculative. You know, I can't make any promises. I'll play it for Nikki because obviously she comes to my ST. I've got a good relationship with her. Yeah. But uh, no, you can't, no one can get paid. This is just a demo, okay? So we did the song and um, that all worked out really well um, as far as we, you know, we felt. And uh, Rosie... Gollum was the it was the the singer on on the demo. She was amazing. And one day I played it for Nikki, and she really loved it. And she said, "Look, listen, I I can't, I can't guarantee you know because there's a big sort of thing that's got to happen for this to work. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, let's you know let's put let's put it in the movie for the moment and see how when we start you know showing it to executives and you know the whole film, we'll see how people react to it. And so that's how that came about. And the closer we got to time when the film had to be finished <laughs> Lord Raventree was still pegged on the end of the film <laughs> no one had knocked it off its perch yet <laughs> yeah and then I guess the president of music at, at Disney who had a, a relationship with Christina from the first movie you know said look um, I think Christina would be interested in singing so that's how that happened war is not freedom over my shoulder I see a clear view All for my family Reason I'm breathing Everything to lose Should I We have a tradition every year that we, over Christmas, at least once, will watch Arthur Christmas. We, I love that film. And so do I, I adore it. Oh, it's such a great film. It's so good and it just doesn't ever lose any kind of beauty or emotion or comedy however many times i've watched it i love that film i love it and uh, the circumstances of doing it though were uh, were, were pretty cool as well because there was a time i did, i'm this is my home studio right here so i'm in my home in santa monica but at the time i had this big old studio i was describing um down in venice <laughs> so i was asked to do that film and it was june and july you know, so they had all this Christmassy music ringing out over Venice Beach. Must have been really incongruous for passers-by. Like, what the hell's going on there? Why have we got to you know, deck the balls with whatever? Um, no, I love that. I love that. And that was, I think that was my third film with, third or fourth film with Ardman. And I love those guys, you know. Nick yeah. So that, that, it's, it's brilliant. similar to Han in a way Nick with that kind of enthusiasm and sort of absolute kind of just childlike sort of drive for love of what he does yes absolutely and yeah you're right it never ceases to uh, I love it when if Christmas comes around we can watch our Christmas <laughs> my youngest is uh, a five yeah so we're still <laughs> right that nook and cranny I can have every excuse for, for being able to put that one on you don't need an excuse <laughs> no there's so many good ones. I love uh, my jewels <laughs> Mind your bubbles. I mean, what the hell does that mean to an American? And like, no one laughed at that at the premiere here. I was in stitches. Oh, just the idea of like Jim Broadbent, Bill Nye being like, it's just, I mean, yeah, it's brilliant. I also, with the whole kind of lockdown thing as well, it's been lovely to kind of, one of the, one of the positives to take out of it is that thing of, because there's not that constant stream of new stuff to watch in terms of cinema, 
of kind of going, oh, I'm going to go and watch some of the brilliant films that I haven't watched in a while and stuff. And Gone Baby um, Gone was just, oh my God, what a film. I'd forgotten. I, I, I don't think I'd watched that since I saw it at the cinema. And I could see it like once after that, but oh, what a film. Yeah, no, I, I was so I was so lucky to do that, and that that came about in a strange way. And I had read the script, and there was curious lack of dialogue in the script. A lot of it was descriptive, and the narrative was 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 portrayed not through dialogue. And and it was pretty interesting because it felt like there would probably have to be quite a lot of music in there. Now, um, I was told that that Ben would be seeing five or six composers, and I had I went when it was my turn, and uh, <laughs> I like to remind him. But, you know, it was so weird. I went into a room and there was kind of a single seat and then there were five empty seats opposite. And so Ooh. I guess it's kind of an interview. Good God. Um, I kind of sat down and then Ben filed in with these. Uh, and it all struck me. They're all young, uh, fun-looking people. And Ben, and he was kind of shy about it and said, look, uh, yeah, no, I don't mind some of your music's been all right for some of the films you've done. And he, instantly he was kind of quite sarcastic with me, which I liked a lot. <laughs> yeah. But it, we, liked, we got on really, really well. And the standing joke has always been, and uh, will continue to be, that Thomas Newman must have been busy. That's why he hired me. Um, and I'd, I'd go along with that. I'd, I'd hire Thomas Newman over myself any day. But so yeah, no, I was really lucky to do that. It's a really emotional, beautiful film, and and he uh, he's such a he's so, he was so smart, and you know he'd had a lot of bad press just a couple of years leading up to that mm-hmm. time, and and uh, you know he's actually really smart, really committed, really focused, warm, funny, and absolutely sort of lights up and cheers up any room when he walks into it, and he's just serious filmmaker. He's really good at directing. I think he must be good at directing actors, but I know that he's good at directing. The rest of us behind the camera, like good at directing himself as well, which you know is not always the case. Well, yeah, but not in Gone, Gone Baby Gone. I think that was probably the strength of. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's continued to be a friend, and he's he's someone I I hope to continue scoring for. was one thing I was really taken aback with when I, I interviewed him was the comedic side to him that hadn't really had the chance to I mean he's smart as well it's, yeah he was doing like um Ali G impressions for <laughs> for about 20 minutes when we first when he came into the room it was hilarious and I I am um, I was like oh my god Harry also did Team America and then I was like the demon it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like Oh, it's a funny film. Oh, it's a very funny film. It is, but I've got to be quick to say, look, I'm so Rory. That's not written by me. <laughs> Often people, you know, I did the score. There's a lot of music. There's 80 minutes of music score, but but the really classic, you know, yeah, I'm so Rory. That's, that was, that's <laughs> Trey Parker, man. He's genius. Because he's not only a filmmaker, a writer, uh, an actor, uh, you know, he's, he's a music writer as well. Mm. He can write a really good song and then sing it in a funny old accent. I'm so lonely, so lonely, so lonely and sad, real alone. There's no one, just me only, sitting on my rental throne. I work very hard and make up great plans, but nobody listens, no one understands. Seems right, no one takes me seriously, and so I'm rounding. Yeah, riddle rounding, Paul riddle me. Yeah, no, he, that was that was really peculiar, a very peculiar event. For me. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, my agent called me one day. Was at the same studio in Venice. Mitch said, "Look, listen, there's, there's these people. They just fired their composer. They've got about two and a half weeks to complete this film. You're one of the people they, you know, who might be able to do this." 
go to the cutting room, they'll show you the film. You've got to either agree to do it or not on the spot. Um, and we'll talk about the deal later on. So I said, but who, you haven't even said, who, who are these people? So Matt Parker, Tristan. So I don't know, I, I got off the phone with my agent, said to my guys, my guys who I work with in my studio, no, I've got to go and see these guys, Matt Parker and Tristan. And they're like, Harry, you've got to do it. That's the South Park people. I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I've never even seen South Park. I don't know what rock I've been living in. Under. Like, no, you have, unless, I mean, you've got to do it. Right? This would be so much fun, please. <laughs> I and, and, and see this film, which had a, had the score was a temporary score. You know, it wasn't, mm. wasn't a score that they had ever been composed by anybody, but it being sort of stuck together by a music editor just to, to elevate the film. Uh, but it was all Hans. It was all like Hans being serious. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it was, you know, all his really serious. <laughs> um, sort of Brookheimery type school. Yeah. I'm like, oh God, is this the sort of music they want me to do? Hans will never kill me. Uh, so they, so yeah, they, they, I came out of the edit room having watched the film, and the producer, they didn't sort of say, did you like it, or you know, does it speak to you, or something like that. He's like, can you do it? So I said, what do you mean? Can you do it in two and a half weeks? What? Yeah, no, no, because they, because they had had a composer, and it all went south. So yeah. So I said, well, I'm going to have to enlist a lot of help, but yeah, I think I can. He said, well, thanks, no good. Can you do it? So I said, yeah, I'll do it. I can do it. So he said, great, we'll be around tonight to hear themes. So normally, like, you know, with a Ridley or someone, be like, I'll see you next month to hear themes, you know? But it was like, I'll be, we'll, we'll be at your studio in Venice to hear themes tonight. <laughs> and this is like lunchtime. I'm like, okay, I'll see how this is going to go. So I raced back to my studio, and of course my guys were all so deliriously happy, even though they hadn't seen the film. But yeah, oh, it, was, wow. it was pretty cool. Before we wrap up, um, what's do you have a? It's lovely because you you quite as well as the kind of project being something you need to connect to. It very much sounds that you're such a people person. It feels like that there has to be some kind of connection with the with the directors and the team as well that you're you're working with because you talk yeah. so brilliantly about you know about about human interaction and that's part of it, isn't it? It really is, and and you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that um, you know if I hadn't called Richard and Harvey and and been into having being a member of a cricket team, a really second-rate cricket team. Nonetheless, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's all it really is how the world goes round, isn't it? And uh, I've discovered that you know the the gift that Hans gave me was the gift of employment. I mean, let's face it, for the first couple of years, because I was thoroughly illegal, I shouldn't had no work permit. My visa was out of order. You know, the guy didn't have, couldn't pay me because <laughs> that worked for him. But it's not about that. It's more about an opportunity. Um, and, you know, years on, um, I'm happy to say that the, I've taken that, that role of, uh, of uh, mentoring people and, and having people as my assistants who, who I like to be around, who I want to be around. That's changed a little bit somewhat over the years. I, I, as I said, down in Venice, in that decade, I must have done 70 film scores or something. And, you know, I had a team, six or seven people with me. And now I have one composing assistant, and that's all I want to have. That's yeah. all I need. And, I, and I, I'm trying to do fewer films and just do them better. So things change with time, but I, one thing doesn't change, which is, is that uh, people need to start somewhere in the business. And what better place to start than the place that I started, which, you know, I mean, I guess I was so lucky it was Hans, but say it wasn't Hans. It was, you know, some other maybe not so flashy great composer, but just a, someone who's going to give you a shot and take you under their wing. Well, how important is that? Very, very important. Harry, it's been an absolute treat chatting yeah. to you. I really appreciate your time. We could chat to you for hours and, and hopefully we get another opportunity in the future to, to talk some more. But congratulations on, you know, on Mulan, but all of it as well. It's a real treat to get to... Oh, to thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, take care. Stay safe. Thank you and you. Thanks Bye. so much. Bye.
from the score to Shrek. That's fairy tale. Oh, donkey, look at his wee boots. Rounding off this latest episode, get out of my swamp of soundtracking with the brilliant Harry Gregson Williams. My huge thanks to Harry for taking the time to talk to us. He is the most fabulous company. As I said earlier, Mulan is available now on Disney Plus and makes an absolutely gorgeous companion to Disney's original. There's a full track listing for this show on our Spotify page with my website, edithbowman.com, just one of the many places you can find every single episode of this podcast. And there's a few. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And we also have a YouTube channel where I put together a regular show to accompany this podcast. Next up, the wonderful Ewan McGregor is in the virtual house to discuss his road trip documentary, Long Way Up. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. In the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>